Blog Talk Radio. It is Tuesday, and it is that oh day that um, there's a lot of um, talk about. I'll just put it that way. Tuesday, January 19th, 2021. Thank you very much for tuning in. I am Tanya Hathaway, and I'm your host with Tanya Talks, where your voice is heard, and your stories told on Marty Oakley's TS Radio Network. And if you're in Oklahoma, 89.9 KLRB FM Lighthouse Christian Radio, Stephen Burke. Thank you, Stephen Burke. Thank you, Marty Oakley. Uh, gosh, Marty, I've seen you sharing some. Oh, your shows are amazing, but, um, you know, incredible shows. So I encourage you in Oklahoma to um, listen to. Uh, Stephen Burke's 89.9 KLRB FM more often than just on the nights that we um, are being live cast there, but as well as Marty Oakley's TS Radio Network. You really want to check out ppjg.me and see other uh, hosts. She ha- only has a few. She's very select, and I'm privileged to be a part of that selection. I, I genuinely... I'm just so privileged. And um and also this show is brought in coordination with the annual with Marcel Reed and the annual whistleblowers summit in D C. Easy to look that up. I don't think that site is being censored, so go for it. No matter what browser you're using, go for it. The annual whistleblower summit in Washington D C. Happens in the summer, folks. Hopefully this year it will be in person. Marty Oakley has got a pretty permanent place there, PPP, huh? And that's with the uh, guardianship abuse. And she was just uh, asked to be on the board of a particular, uh, and I cannot remember the name of that organization, Marty, but if you're listening Feel free to uh, tune in and say what the name of that organization is, but it has to do with the guardianship abuse, a very yeah, elite a, uh, position. But we we know Marty is elite anyways, and she'll never brag about it, but um, she's very recognized. So um, yeah, we want to ask dialysis, you. Yeah, dialysis advocates and associates, and they are now being supported by the Martin Luther King Organization and several others. Um the people on dialysis are predominantly black, and they get ejected from these clinics. Uh, they can. What can happen is if they complain that they didn't clean the area where they're going to be dialyzed or the nurse jams the needle through their arm and they say anything, that nurse can go in 
and make a notation in their file that they were being combative or they said something and the patient can never see what the comment was or who made it and they eject them from the clinic. At this point, this is like being handed a death sentence. The only way they can get dialyzed is waiting till they're so toxic they go to the emergency room and at that point, the same nephrologist who threw them out of their clinic administers dialysis if they survive it, and but at two to three times the cost. And they do this all day, every day. And um, so it's, it's I, oh, my God, it's just a disgusting thing. But anyway, it's dialysis. It's a huge wake-up call. Yes. Go ahead. I'm yes. sorry. Yes. Go it's ahead. huge. I don't know. That's, it happens in all. Yes. It's, it, it, I mean, if you think that, you know, when you're tuning in to one particular show on advocacy and exposing public corruption or whatever and, you know, things that we're doing to help solve these problems. It's not just in one sector, people. It's, you know, you you really need to know what the heck is going on. And Marty's guests are just, and uh, and her knowledge, it's just so tremendous. And we're talking about, you know, your, your parents might think they have things all set up just fine. We're talking about the rights that your parents wanted you to have to oversee their health care being stripped away. Right, Marty? Yeah. You're, when you go into guardianship, um, you suffer what's called a civil death. Um, the law is not accessible to you because under the law, you have been declared basically dead. And at this point, the guardian can isolate you, strip you of all your rights, uh, they usually leave you with the right to vote so they can sell that vote to attorneys who bundle it and sell it to the political parties. And um, But they can – pre-standing legal agreements are routinely cast aside by the hearing examiner. Uh, they break into twil- wills, trusts. They bleed and plunder the estate. And the victim is usually isolated, location unknown, so the family can't see them or access them. And they keep this going until they've Lisa gotten Bellinger. every last time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, not like it's a fluke, though, so forgive me for putting it no. out that way. This is a common no. place. This is common every state, place. Some state. Every city. Yep. They do this hundreds of times a day across the country. Um, like I say, people are stripped of their rights. Most of the times they are not even allowed to come into the courtroom. It's not a court. It's a tribunal intentionally set up to be a tribunal running on statute and code and not the law. They don't have to follow the codes of evidence, the rules of civil procedure. The guardian, potential guardian, can stand up there and levy all kinds of charges. They have a laundry list. Oh, we found them in in living in squalor. They were covered with feces and urine. They were starved to death, and they can't even identify the victim because they've never even seen them but that those statements are accepted as truth and they right. are not allowed to you can't even challenge um, the integrity no no you can't challenge them uh they don't provide provide any evidence and they are never asked for any and once this guardianship is granted all that happens is there's just a steady bleeding off of the estate till everything's gone uh, they will malign the family even press phony charges against them. Uh, it ends up getting thrown out of court because they have to go into civil court over it. But uh, it gets thrown out. But the damage is done. 
and um, it, everything, everything from a phone call, $500 for a five-minute phone call, um, it, 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 insane they stuff like you. that. They heist your loved ones yes. and all their money, all their freedom, and yep. their lives. Take, yep. Steal them away and then, from you. And now what they do is push them into hospice, and they euthanize them. Hospice is not your family friend. Don't think it is. This is a killing machine. Uh, we've done massive amounts of work on that. They are steadily euthanizing the elderly in this country and getting rid of them. We're going to see more of that under this phony COVID thing and the vaccine. You know, I, hope that that is already- I, I would love to have to do a show on, on a Sunday or a Tuesday or a, another night and just like talk about this, you know, just like, yep. you know, with because I know right now there are people that are tuning into this that are hearing this to this degree for the very first time. And I bet your head just spinning and your, and, and your mind is going in so many places yep. hearing this, knowing that this is a credi- credible forum, it's a platform, yep. um, and, and, you know, to the point that, you know, Marty Oakley, you know, has a permanent place in, in you know, in what belongs to, you know, D.C., whatever you think about it or not, you know, to tell to enlighten, to educate people about guardianship abuse at this phenomenal forum called the Whistleblower Summit, Annual Whistleblower Summit. So you just don't want to miss it. You just don't want to miss it. So take a a look. Marty, can you just share, and I want to keep going, I really do, but can you just share the best ways, the best times, the best ways to see your articles, the links, and the times to listen and to these shows particular? Um, well, the, it, everything's posted on Facebook. Um, we're looking at other forums now, trying to get off of there because of the censorship. Um, we've had shows censored. Yeah. 10, 15 minutes into the show, uh, they're pulled down. Um, apparently, yeah. we're not supposed to be talking. But anyway, right. uh is on there and the PPJ. And uh, this is just basically Can- where we orientate from. We've We've got close to 4 million views on the PPJ, and um, yeah. so it's just, that's Which basically covers, where I operate. you know, the full gamut of what you're, what you're sharing, yeah. but, but that's yes. 4 million we, we views, cover everything. folks, it's 4 million views, so um, can people follow you personally on your Facebook page? Yep, uh, you- I bought it, when I set it up, I didn't know what I was doing, and so I have a limit yeah. of 5,000, and I've set it 5,000 right. all the right. time, but you can still follow and um, right. where you can sign on to the PPJ and get mail notices or just go there and visit. That's better. But I think your, yeah. your guest is on uh, area code 860. Is this um, okay. Melissa? Yes, Melissa. Okay. So thank, okay. you, thank you, Marty. There you go. Thanks, Marty. Yep. Um, you know, so please, this, this, um, this podcast also, if, you're, if you connected through the link that was shared online, uh, you can listen to this again, okay? You can; It'll be available to you, that very same link. I want to welcome Tina, co-host tonight, uh, you know, my partner in crime, or, <laughs> in a, you know, unquote, and she, and she is also, co- she is a co-founder of uh, Journeys to Justice, Inc. It is an, set up as a non-profit now, and um, now, Melissa, I don't want to say too much in case we're on limited time right now, but uh, can you let me know if we are on limited time right now? Um, 
I don't know how much time we have, probably about 20 minutes or so. Okay, so are we all set up to get right into this, and then we can we can circle back to some other things in a little bit? Yes. Is that where we're at yep. right now? Okay, yes, so sure. I would like to welcome uh, Melissa Hurry back to our show. And um, and Melissa Hurry is uh, she is an expert in wrongful convictions and in the in um, in integrity units and she also works for the state of Connecticut. Can you get can you let our listeners know in the capacity and can you please announce who you have with you tonight? Um, I, again, thank you everybody for tuning in. Appreciate it. We'll circle back around to some of my you know normal rants later on. Okay. Melissa, take 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 the uh, take the uh, front and center stage. Hi. Um, well, you already introduced me, so I'm Melissa Hurry. I I've been in the field of law for uh, 23 years now. I currently I work for the state of Connecticut at the Office of State Ethics. I am a paralegal specialist there. And before that, I worked 17 years in a private practice, um, family law and criminal law also as a paralegal, and I'm currently mm-hmm. finishing up my master's in criminal justice. So I've taken an interest in not only wrongful convictions, but um, also excessive sentences as well, which is probably what we're looking at in the cases that we're going to talk about this evening. So, right. and, that's, um, and also that's why you uh, uh, very much are, are, uh, believe that the conviction integrity units are so important too, correct? Extremely important, and um, Oklahoma has none, not one right. unit in one county. No, there's no conviction integrity units in Oklahoma. Works well for them, doesn't it? Not for yeah. and, and if people, people aren't familiar with conviction integrity units, they, they are there to review questionable verdicts, but there's a lot of questionable verdicts in Oklahoma, and the need for a conviction integrity unit is glaring, but that I don't know when that will happen. Well, we're going to keep pushing for it. And with someone like you and others that have been working very hard um, to mm-hmm. make what's wrong right, it, it makes a huge difference. And we greatly appreciate Absolutely. you being on here, especially to talk about the case with uh, with Jorge Bravo. Jorge Bravo. Now, we have heard over the summer cases on the Lawton Four. Okay, we know there are more than just four in Lawton, which mm-hmm. is Comanche County that happens to be in Oklahoma. Okay. We also know this happens in anywhere and everywhere in the country. Some places much more, um, uh, is flooded with much more, of uh, um, the denials of due process, which guess what folks, that is called public corruption. And there are many mm-hmm. people that are behind bars with either excessive sentences or they are, uh, sentenced to life with or life without parole. And some are also sentenced, uh, to be put to death. Uh, we yes. discussed a little bit last week uh, um, some of the uh, statistics, but right now we are going to uh, take advantage of whatever moments and minutes that we do have to talk yes. uh, with um, Jorge Bravo, correct? Mr. Bravo, are you there? I'm here. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thank you so uh, very much. Okay. We appreciate it. Uh, and you have a limited amount of time. Is that correct? Yes, that's why we're limited because obviously yes, okay. um, he only has a certain amount of time to, to speak. Okay, so so, so I just want to assure everybody that Mr. Bravo is um, legally tuned in to us tonight, and he's speaking legally, 
and uh, on on his own behalf and on his own defense. And uh, okay, just I let's let's just go with it. Um, I've read up a lot about uh, your your case, but also I know that Melissa knows a whole lot more, and that you cannot open any of those doggone dockets for the most part on uh, on uh, OSCN, where you know there's you know where we can see your um, your case in full. Can't open it up. Can't open it up. Yeah. This is typical. So yeah, we're it's praying it's for it's you. We're with you. Welcome. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, I was uh, convicted on a first-degree murder charge and a, a conspiracy charge in 2000, uh, dealing with a U-Haul robbery that took place with uh, three other individuals, uh, Maurice Poole, Bruce Taylor, and Isaiah Walton. Uh, they involved me in it solely based on hearsay, um, I guess due to me working there and uh, individuals, they might have knew who I was or whatever the case may be. So they came, uh, I guess, robbed the place and killed uh, one of the managers or assistant managers and um, pistol worked one of the um, individuals that came to pick up a U-Haul at that time. So where I got involved in, it was that it was a guy named uh, Randy McDool who, during this time, I think he had caught a charge that's not even related to this case. And in exchange for his freedom, he uh, told told on me saying that I had whereabouts about this case and that I was involved in it, basically saying that I ran this case. But if you read my petition, and of course, uh, anybody that knows my case knows that they didn't have a lot of, really they had lack of evidence of me even participating in, only that they had that they knew that I was working there. That's the only thing they put me uh to the case, so to speak. So when they came and picked me up two days later, which would have been October 23rd, they came and got me from my job and they started off that they wanted to question me and it ended up from me being questioned to me being arrested on a first-degree robbery charge at first. And I was interrogated. Mm-hmm. I was interrogated twice. I was interrogated one time in another room without no uh, cameras and no recording. It was just a detective. Basically, you know, interrogated me, wanted me to to say that I was involved in this crime. So the more I kept telling them I didn't have nothing to do with this crime, the more they would reveal uh, evidence on the crime about these individuals, showing me pictures of the individuals involved in this case that I had no knowledge of. And I say about two hours later, they ended up taking me upstairs and started interrogating me again in another room. But this time, it was recording. Uh, all my conversations. Well, they started um, basically meeting the questions on, like they wanted me to tell what happened according to the information that they received. So when I wasn't complying with them, they would, you know, get mad, cut the tape off, uh, tell them, they, they was telling me, like, hey, look, this is what we need you to say, or it's going to get worse on your end. So the more they continue to interrogate me, the less I would say about this situation. Like I said, I had no knowledge of it. So after a while, you know, they continued to uh, basically just told, you know, Maurice Poole and uh, Bruce Taylor, like, hey, these are the individuals, and these are the individuals, can you please say these are the individuals? So when they would put me on the tape, I would say, you know, Detective, uh, I want to say it was Detective Dawkins at the time. I can't remember the other detective off the top of my head, but they would, they would insinuate, you know, 
for me to say these names. So when I would use their names in the recording, they would stop the tape and say, hey, we can't do that. That's coercion. We need you to say it on your own. And I wouldn't. So after a few hours of being interrogated, you know, the DA, which was at the time, was Fred Schultz. He had a conversation with me and said, look, if you can just tell us what happened, we would offer you a 20-year sentence and you can go about your business. They also reached out to my mother, Sylvia Soto, and talked to her about the situation. And um, they were trying to have her convince me to, you know, testify. So I told them I would think about it, and I had a chance to go up, you know, go uh, sit down in the, in the county, and I conversated with one of the individuals I was on the case, which was Isaiah Walton. Well, Isaiah Walton told me, look, you weren't in the building when this happened. You weren't around when this happened. Because when it took place in the side of U-Haul, around this time I was in the storage room closing up. I had no knowledge of what was going on until I came back and seen the commotion that uh, Mr. Jenkins, not Mr. Jenkins, but Mr. J.C. Perryman on the ground uh, hanging on to his life. And Carolyn Brown, which was uh, a customer, talking to the uh, 911 dispatcher. So... At this time, when I went back upstairs to sign for the 20-year sentence and just tell them what actually happened, hey, I wasn't in this building, they started telling me that I had too many witnesses built against me, so the best they could do was give me a life sentence. While I was arraigned, I was arraigned for the first degree robbery charge, and for me not complying with them, they went on ahead and put me on a first-degree murder and conspiracy to a robbery. So can, I, can I ask you my, something? Yes, ma'am. Just um, a, a quick, quick, quick question, because I want to make sure in case you have to get off that I can get this straight from you, because I think this is very, okay. very pertinent. I see on the docket what I can see, although I don't get to see the document itself, that at two different yeah. times, in, in February, on February 7th, and then again on March 14th, uh, it says uh, that the state uh, filed intent to offer a lab report. Of yes. as evidence, did that ever happen? No. Uh, was there ever any never, real evidence? They never had no evidence. All the evidence that they had was just hearsay. It was individuals that were that was trying to avoid going to no prison. lab reports. So no lab you know, reports. Then am I correct? No lab reports. No lab reports. I tried to even uh, I even tried to get so I even tried to subpoena the. Um, the telephone recordings with my mother and the DA. I tried to get the, you know, for the interrogation tape, and they wouldn't allow me to have them. So, so even the uh, docket, even on the docket, the docket is trying to sway public opinion, the court of public opinion, by putting that stuff up there as if it was actually presented, and it wasn't, exactly. folks. So remember yes, that when you go look up Jorge, J-O-R-G-E, Bravo, B-R-A-V-O, that's his last name, okay? Got to put in the last name first on OSCN.net in Oklahoma, and you look in Comanche County, you're going to see the case. You're going to say where the state requests, you know, that, that they're going to present lab evidence. There's nothing ever that is presented, okay? There's nothing that is presented, but they want you to think that, that they did. Okay. Correct. Go, go ahead. Correct. I'm sorry. I want to make that perfectly clear. That's to okay. Our, to our okay. Listeners. That's important to Thank get you. out there, yes, because, um, like I said, you know, I try to any kind of evidence that I had that can help me on this case, they suppressed it. You know, they they uh, 
They try to hide a lot of evidence on my case. They were just going off a of hearsay. Um, the individual that, that turned me in, which was this individual named Randy McDougal, the same night, he had a case pending on him, which was a statutory break they considered to a minor. But for his testimony, they went on ahead and uh, threw that case out, and he went to go home that day and return. And, and, and all he had to do was come back to my trial and point me out. Never met, and, never met the guy, never talked to this individual in my life. Can you mm-hmm. tell everybody what role he played in this? Because I think it's crucial that he walked away without yes. serving any jail time exactly. when he played probably one of the most crucial roles. The, the gun that was used belonged to him, didn't it? Yeah, the gun that was used in his murder was registered to him. Mm-hmm. And during the trial, they erased the, the serial number so it couldn't trace back to him. So a lot of evidence that was being used during the trial had nothing to do with me at all. They couldn't, they couldn't say I was in the building. They couldn't say that uh, I planned the murder. They couldn't say that I had any knowledge of the murder. Even Isaiah Walton gave a statement that said Friday, prior to Saturday taking place, that I had that Mr. Bravo had no knowledge that they was coming to get me. Mm-hmm. They said it was a three-way split, mm-hmm. a 40-40-20 split. They said that I was supposed mm-hmm. to be the safety. They said I was supposed to leave the safe key on the safe so they can go in and rob the uh, safe, which I had the safe key with me in a whole nother building. Uh, yeah, that's the thing, too. So I want everybody to, employee. to be clear how I'm, this I'm took sorry, place. go ahead. You two take no, it away. Sorry. Go ahead. I just, I just want everybody to, to be clear on how, on how this took place. So not that, you know, we're not doing a good job of explaining that, but I just want people to, 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 see, to understand the circumstances. So uh, Mr. Bravo worked at this U-Haul place where this robbery took place, and there was a person that was that was killed during the robbery. It was another employee of the U-Haul place, um, J.C. was his name, I believe. Yeah. And um, when this when this robbery occurred, um, Mr. Bravo was outside, you know, doing his normal duties, locking up storage units. So when the other three co-defendants come in to rob the place. Um, the safe is never opened. Um, they al- allegedly said that um, oh, oh, the keys were supposedly left on top of the safe. Jorge had the keys with him. So I just want to point that out because if this was something that was supposed to be constructed with him, why would he have the keys with him outside and the safe was never opened? And there's something else I want to point out that we also talked about. There, w- there was cash under the keyboard that um, he knew was there. So if he knew that that cash was there and this robbery was masterminded by him, the cash was still there, the, the safe was never open, that's undisputed, and there were no keys on top of the safe. So I just want to point that out. Yeah, correct. correct. And, and so one of the problems from this very harsh degree, one of the most harshest, uh, for, forgive me, one of the most harshest sentences that you can get is first-degree murder, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's what you got. And one of the prongs is, that um, there's a, a forethought, there is a, a plan that's put into place by whoever it is that is charged with, you know, murder in the first degree. Yet you had no knowledge of this whatsoever, and there's nothing that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt, and not even yeah. any shadow, anyways, that that you were a part of any kind of planning. Exactly. Correct? Correct. Even even the individuals involved in the crime stated the the individual that 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 took the shot stated that I had no knowledge of this about to occur. 
that it was a three-way split. It was a 40-40-20. It was a 40-40-20 split. That's a 100% split between three people. If my involvement was involved, I would have been a part of that as well. If I was involved, you know, I would have told them about the safety. I would have told them where the money was at just so nobody would be hurt. But they took it upon themselves to, to, to um, rob this place. And the funny thing about this is that, you know, you have an individual that was a star witness, which was Randy McGoo, that testified that I was the mastermind of the, of, of the crime, yet he had a case pending on him. And for his uh, testimony, they threw the whole case out. Also, it was a getaway driver that drove him up the name David Huffman that stated in his statement that um, he overheard the people in the back of the car saying, you know, this is going to be an in-and-out job. He, that they wanted him to wait, but he got sick and he drove off. He took the stand and told them that, you know, me and him knew each other and we went to school together, yet this man was 10 years older than me at the time. So we could never went to school, never met the man in my life. And for his testimony, they let him also, they relieved him of his charges. The funny thing is that when they asked him why was he testifying, he told them that he was in Judge McCall's chamber and talked to him and, the, and, and uh, Fred Smith and Judge McCall. Started hitting the gavel like, hey, check this out. I never talked to this man. He needs to change his testimony. And on stand, Dave Wilson was like, yes, I was in the judge's chamber with you. So they had to take a recess to get everything situated because he's the one that ended up downing us over. Let me ask you something, please, because I know that when you have to get off off, off this podcast, uh, Melissa knows your, your case pretty much inside and out. But I want to ask you, while I have you on here personally, what is your, what is, what number are you being referred to in the Department of Corrections in Oklahoma? Say that again. What's your number that you're being referred to? Because in, as far number? as Oklahoma DOC is concerned, that's all you are is a number. What number is that? Uh, 41, 91, 42. Is it okay if I can uh, call back? Because I got 10 seconds left. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yes. Please do call back because I have a good question okay. for you. Thank you. Call okay, back. I will. Just give me, give me less than a minute. Thank you. Okay. okay. Oh, wow. I'm just so grateful okay. to be able to have him on with us. Um, Melissa, thank you so much for for arranging yeah no no problem so he's going to call you easy, back but, uh, and you're going to plug him yep. in right yep. okay Hold, i'm going to um, do that okay. right now okay okay so while while we're waiting for that listeners i want you to know that what i'm going to ask him about is his life before he became that number i want to ask him about his family i want to ask him about his mother i want to ask him about his brother I want uh, people to know that this man is a human being that is has been sentenced to a life with parole. However, he's been behind bars since 2000 and uh, since, let me see, uh, 2000, I believe it is. Um, and uh, this is not a number. This is a human being it could be you it could be me it could be your son it could be your mother it could be your sister it could be your brother it could be anybody it could be you don't forget it could be you that is set up okay i believe we're we're both back (laughs) okay 
Jorge, what I wanted to ask you about knowing that um, if you have to get out, how much time do you have? Oh, I, got, I, got, I got 25 minutes, roughly 25 minutes. They say 25 oh, minutes. Off. Good. Good, good. Okay, so I just promised our listeners that you would share with us what your life was like before you became that number, who you are to your mother, who you are to your to your brother, who you are to your family. Can you share with us what your life was like? Sure, you weren't perfect. Nobody is, right? I saw something where, you know, people are going to look you up, all right? They're going to look you up because they really care about what's going on. So you've got something for drunk driving once, okay, a traffic thing, okay? That's it. That's all all I saw. Um, It does not make you a murderer, does it? Correct, no. Um, I played, uh, you know, uh, I played All-American basketball for seven, eight years. You know, I was born in Panama. So I was born from immigrant Where were you born? I was born in Panama. I'm not, I was born in okay. Panama, Panama City in uh, 1980, January 2nd. Um, I came to the United States uh, roughly around 1983, 84, when I got my um, green card to my mother into the military, and she married my father uh, in the same year. Your mother was um, in the military, you said? Yes. Yeah. She she started off in the military so she can give it to the state. And God bless her. Then she retired. She re- she she got out the military after seven two or three years, and she was a home daycare provider for about I want to say fifteen years. And now she's a a daycare provider. She has her own daycare center in Oklahoma, Lawton, Oklahoma, a real good daycare center at that. Um, growing okay. up, you know, uh, I was a, a I was a straight A student, you know. Uh, Straight um, A students, is that what I heard? Because yes. I know that it's yes. hard to, though some people have said to me, oh, it's hard to hear them, but we understand that you have, you, you know, you you can only get the reception that you have. And so I just want to exactly. make sure everybody's hearing these very important things. You're a straight A student. Your mother yes, served in the military, and right now she's in yes. Oklahoma City. Uh, with Oklahoma, a daycare center. Lawton, Oklahoma. Lawton, Oklahoma. Oh, forgive me. Lawton, Oklahoma, with a daycare center, a reputable woman, a reputable family. Go ahead, continue. Yes, um, I played. I played basketball. I, I mean, I was a regular kid. You know, played sports, went to school. You know, helped around the house because I was the oldest, so I took care of my brothers when my mother needed me to take care of them. Um, let's hear about you your know. basketball career. I've got a son playing D one right now. <laughs> let's let's hear yeah. about basketball. Uh, it's not easy to be recruited. Uh, for basketball, no, so you had a full no. ride for basketball, and what were you going to college for? Well, I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't attending college. I was going to. I was. I had a chance to go to college because I played AAU basketball in North Carolina from yep. 1992 Ooh. to 1997. I played AAU basketball, and I had a walk-on scholarship at one point in time to go play at UNC. Um, but oh my uh, gosh, that's huge! I ended up moving. That's one of the best. Basketball yes, programs yes. in the country. Yes, I ended up moving. I ended up moving down here to visit my mother then, because my mother then moved to Oklahoma in '97, and I stayed back in North Carolina with uh, my real father, my biological father at the time, so I can try to uh, finish school. But uh, being a typical kid, you know, my my grades wasn't. Uh, I was still a straight A student. But I, I wasn't really just attending school because I was, I was going through a lot of things with my mother being down a lot and, and me being down in uh, North Carolina, I was missing her. So I decided to leave all that behind and come start another life in Oklahoma in 1998. Uh, at one point in time, like I said, I, was, I stayed in Hawaii in 1989, 1990, and I was a straight-A What were you doing there? So, 
Oh, uh, my, my, my father was stationed. Uh, he was in the military. He was stationed there because he, he retired as a drill sergeant. So Okay, um, so both of your parents, your biological parents, were in the military. Yes, and so was my stepfather. I, I was raised by my stepfather. Okay. Yes. Okay. So that's how so I there was a respect about, for country, respect for, you know, law, respect for the Constitution. Is that correct? Yes, yes. I, I was, I mean, like you said, if you can go, if you look me up, you look my name up, you, you, that's all you're going to find is that one charge of uh, public intoxication. I was mostly yeah. trying to focus on basketball. Even when I got to law in Oklahoma, I still played, uh, I still played basketball, like uh, AAU basketball. I played um, at a few tournaments, and I was also in a uh, up-and-coming rap group at one point in time. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of traveling on that too, which was which was kind of what took me out of school at the time. Okay, so, um, we just want to get to know you as a person. Yeah. You 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 know what I mean? I think that's just so important. We get to know you as a person. You, you know, they know I love my family to death. You know, I love my nieces. I love my nephews. You I was know. just going to say that. Please tell them because every time I speak with you, we talk about your nieces, and yeah. I can see how close you are with your family yeah, members. I'm, I'm real, I'm real, like I said, you know, I've been locked up twenty years, so I, I, I haven't I haven't had the chance to be there with them outside, but they come visit me, mm-hmm. you know, twice a month ever since two thousand and. I've been having them all visit me. I also have a son as well that is 21 now. Um, Your son is so 21 I, years old. Yes, and I, last time I seen him was when he was one years old. Not saying that I haven't seen him at visit, but that's the last time I was with him. As soon as he turned one, I ended up getting arrested on this case like uh, a month later. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and so that's a very trying situation in itself. Yes. And, um, as far as what he might believe or not. Yeah, since mm-hmm. I've been incarcerated, I've got my GED. I have uh, a horticulture license. I have a commercial cleaning license. I have a, uh, I also have an OSHA's license that I just recently got. I just graduated from a program called Faith and Character Based, which is a parole-based program. Um, I've never Congratulations. Been in, thank you. I've never been in no major trouble in prison. My jacket is probably... No more than 150 pages, if that, you know. Uh, so, people, your um, jacket is his folder. It's like a personnel folder uh, personnel where you work. Jacket. Am I correct? Yes, and it, and, it, and, it, and it holds everything, you know, any kind of misconduct, any kind of activities, crimes, any kind of uh, disciplinary actions or whatever. And through my whole incarceration, all I did was educate myself. I converted to Islam and found peace. And that's mm-hmm. what really motivated me to be the man that I am today, you know. So I try to give back to people. I don't look at this I don't look at this sentence as a curse but as a blessing because it changed my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, though that it took me away from my family, it also made me the man I am today. And it gave me the opportunity to, to be able to get on this podcast and share my story with y'all. Thank you. And, and so uh, we want to see you free so- because you're an innocent man. Yes, and, and and one thing that I do want to elaborate on before I get off, just recently, okay, um, if anybody looks up my case, like you said, they're going to see that it's a, it's a first-degree murder charge and a conspiracy charge, but I was arraigned, and I was arraigned up under a first-degree robbery due to the fact that they could not get me on that because they didn't have no evidence on even a first-degree robbery within hours. 
they changed it to a conspiracy to commit a robbery, and so they couldn't find me guilty of that. They changed it to a first-degree murder with the death penalty that I had. A, I ended up going to a death penalty trial after I got convicted and beat that and was blessed to get a life with. Well, just recently, um, I had a friend of mine look up my case because I kept – I had a lawyer that I was trying to get to – bring to light that I was charged originally upon the first-degree robbery. Where nobody can ever find this charge, I had the VA. I nope, had I can't find it. Yes, you it's cannot buried. find it. But if, if you go up under my alias and one of my nicknames, you'll find it up under my nickname. This is how I found it. The funny thing is that my lawyer, the lawyer that I had at the time, Scott Corrales, he went and talked to the DA and the detective about this deal, and they both denied ever making a deal with me. Well, my friend... Um, she found the deal. She went to the courthouse to go pick up the paperwork, and they told her she cannot pick it up yet because um, they had to they had to do something. They had to put the paper together and told her, can you please tell him to turn himself in because this case has been pending 20 years. They didn't even know I was in prison, <laughs> you know, and my, my mother went and You're picked up the paper. You're hiding the fact that you're in prison for life with parole, yeah. supposedly, right? Exactly, with parole. Oh, 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 okay, so mm-hmm. do you mind yep. giving us the alias? Uh, yeah, I mean, do whatever you feel comfortable. It was up under, uh, I'm pretty sure it says Humble George and Goldie, and I think it was what up under. What is it under? Goldie. It's probably either the Humble George or Goldie. And if you were to go on that, because that's how she found it. Where my mother went to go pick up the paperwork, they even told her, hey, you need to tell your son, this case is pending, going on 20 years. We need him to turn himself in. They're not even knowing I'm already serving a crime. I'm serving a, a life sentence on a murder that I didn't commit, so they suppressed the first-degree robbery charge. So it was a subpoena, supposedly. I'm not sure, that, but the subpoena said that I was supposed to go in front of the court in 2001 in March to go in court to be uh, uh tried up under a first-degree robbery, which never took place. I was in court. I was in Comanche County for two and a half years fighting my case, and at one time mm-hmm. did they ever bring up that robbery charge. Mm-hmm. This so this is just came up recently. That just came up recently. Okay. Yeah. Who do you have right now for uh, representation? At the moment, um, I have, the only one that I've been talking to is Melissa and this other lady named uh, uh, Heather, Heather Drury, if I'm not mistaken, because um, every lawyer that did want to represent me in Martin, Oklahoma, kept telling my family they cannot take my case because it's tricky. And at one point in time, the VA even told my mother that as long as they was in, in, involved, the VA or, the, or, or George McCall, that they was not going to let me out. You know, because that was my mm-hmm. judge. They was, you know, if, if if anybody knows my case, for one, they they was putting witnesses on my case. They didn't know nothing about me. Uh, it was a juror that was that her family was best friends with the victim's family, and she told me in a letter. She wrote me a letter and told me that hey, the victim's family been coming to my house every night, wanted me to find you guilty. She even talked mm-hmm. to Judge McCall and told her. She told Judge McCall that hey, I cannot be on this case no more. Because the victim's family is best friends with my mother. They are, this was all in records because the, the uh, VA is the one that kept her on the trial. And, the, and Judge McCall told her she needs to make up her mind and find me either guilty or not guilty, even though she told them that the female 
the victim's uh, family members was coming there every night, convincing her to find him guilty. And that is jury tampering, right? Right there, that is jury tampering. That is just absolutely outrageous. It's outrageous. And and then they actually, you know, as we're seeing, you, you know, uh, there. This is the censoring. This is creating the narrative for what, uh, how they want to justify having you behind bars. And yes, uh, oh my goodness gracious. So please, uh, listeners, I want you to please recognize this case. I want you to also, if you would, I had shared that link to the petition on behalf of Jorge, but I think there was an error and part of it was cut off. So if you're listening, if you saw us through that Facebook link, which I share to like probably like 40 different groups, uh, you know, it's on Journeys to Justice, Inc., on, on uh, Facebook. Of course, it's on Melissa Hurry's page, Tina Gertz, G-O-E-R-T-Z. It's on Injustice and Oklahoma Exposed page. I, I, what I did is I came back in, I edited it, I shared the link directly to that petition in change.org. You can read, you know, the, the summary with not all the details, but you can read that summary. I'm going to ask every one of you to, I'm not going to tell you to go sign it. I'm not even asking to sign it. I'm going to ask you to just open it up, read it, follow your head, follow your heart. If you feel that it is valuable enough to sign, if you feel that this case is, is definitely one that needs to be relooked uh, at, uh, please sign it. And please. That's, that's why. That's why. That's why um, this Latin Four movement started because mm-hmm. me and the other individuals, we all have uh, similar cases for either uh, excessive time or wrongfully accused. Uh, I yes. know for I know that Stanley Watson, he's on a, a yes. first degree murder charge, and he had nothing to do with the murder. I know right. Michael Gaines, he got um, a life without, and he had nothing to do and with it. All he did was drive all. a freaking car. Am I correct? 
Correct. And keep in fact, this is my first offense. And it ain't like I've been to prison a thousand times. Uh, this is my first offense, um, my first time ever being in trouble, and my first offense. If y'all get a chance, you know, it's a lot of cases. You know, just recently, uh, the police just recently killed the individual running. Running, they ran behind him and shot him three times in the back from a party. They had no, no, no reason to shoot this man. When they heard some gunshots take place outside of the building, the police shot out. The police shot from inside the building, ran outside, seen a guy take off running, ran behind him and shot him three times in the back and killed him. Also, it was an individual named Clint Kitchen that got murdered by an individual named Chris Moore, and he got off due to the fact that his family had ties with the police. Same thing with Stanley Watson's case. If you ever get a chance to look at Stanley Watson's case, the individual that died on that case, his son, um, the, uh, his father was a jailer in uh, Comanche County. So anything yeah. dealing with Comanche County is, especially with Judge McCall. I got to keep, I got to step oh, up. Oh, Judge McCall, and he's on Judge the pardon and parole board who, who exactly. has promised to automatically deny any violent offenses. Exactly. Judge McCall. And you're not supposed judge. to. Right. So, so yes, and so we're going to have all of the advocates that are are the first, you know, frontline people for this this uh, Lawton Four. Okay, on at the same time, uh, likely sometime next week. Okay, and if you can make it back with us, that that would be great. Of course, Melissa uh, will be here. Tina will be. I have two minutes left before this phone hangs up on Uh y'all. I wish I can continue to talk. Um, Say say something to your family, please. Please well, say something I know that to your family. Everybody that's listening to me, you know, I appreciate y'all listening. I know y'all know about my case. Um, please, uh, if y'all get a chance, please go look at my petition, read it, sign it. We will be having a lot in four rally uh, protest March 21st. We're, we're either going to be at the VFW or at the City Hall. Please show up to that as well because we really need. Where can we find that people. update on where that will be? Um, it will probably be on Facebook, uh, Emily Barnes. She's the one yep. that's hosting this. So if okay. y'all want to get get with her, and she will let y'all know, because this is very important. We're trying to shine the light. Of, uh, this is just not happening to us. It's a lot of individuals in prison right now from Lawton yes, that sir. has excessive time only due to another person telling on them and getting away with their case. Keep in mind that this is happening in Comanche County, and they're quick to bury us. They're not, you know, they, once they throw us in the system, we're lost. Where, you know, they don't have no evidence. Like I said, if uh, you know, they're, they're saying I got a case pending, you know, and here I am, 21 years in prison, and a case is pending that they said I should be uh, turning myself in. But I have to go. I got 10 seconds left. Um, I appreciate y'all giving me the time to talk. You know, uh, all praise is due to God for giving me this opportunity, and I hope that this not only helps me and the Lawton Four, but also has a lot of people step up from Lawton and have their families reach out to you so they can, too, share their story. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, y'all have a good night. I appreciate y'all. Thank you. You as well. So, God bless you. We're here for you. Um, listen up. Okay, please listen up. That's Ignite, uh, Ignite Justice. That's Emily Barnes. That's her page uh, where she has set up the rally. I also know that Tina Gertz is on with us right now, that she is going to be at a rally this um, this Saturday, uh, we're going to circle back around Melissa. So hang in there, um, uh, Tina. What what do you have to say about this rally this Saturday and about the rally that um, 
Emily Barnes has got a, a done a great job with uh, pulling together for the law and for. The rally this Saturday is going to be from 1 to 3 at Oklahoma County Detention Center at the Oklahoma County Jail at 201 North Chartel in Oklahoma City. Um, there have been four deaths there in three weeks, and the conditions are absolutely horrible, horrible, mm-hmm. deadly conditions. Um if you don't mind, if I can find my, I've got notes. I was reading earlier about a case that was settled in 2020, uh, a wrongful death case against okay. that jail. And okay. the, it was posted in prisonlegalnews.org. And it was titled, Oklahoma County Settles Jail Death Lawsuit for $3.2 million. Mm. He was found unresponsive in his cell, which is a consistency every time you read about a jail death or even a prison death. Found unresponsive. Um, But this man, he had not eaten for a week before they found him. They were not giving him his medications, and the staff refused to let his mother bring in his meds. And when Deputy Maxson found him, he was nudging him with his foot. He was unresponsive, but he decided to go finish his rounds before he, oh, this makes me so mad, before he Mm -hmm. went back to try to help this man. Yeah, he he wasn't trying to help him. I, I feel horrible for him and his family. Horrible. But to those who think that these things don't affect them because they don't have somebody in jail or in prison, you're absolutely wrong. Because this jailer was somebody's neighbor. He lives in your neighborhood. And um, and we, the citizens are paying that $3.2 million. That's where it comes from. The county has to pay it. Where's where's the county get their money? It's just, it's horrible. But I'll be speaking at that rally on Saturday, and I hope everybody will come out and support us and support the, the people who are being abused in there. Now, Tina, um, uh, on that note, it was in 2018, November 2nd, uh, there was an article in the Oklahoman, God bless them, uh, for sharing these things, as the Frontier does, another Oklahoma, um, another Oklahoma uh, publication. Now, m- keep in mind, we, are ta- we talk about wherever this is happening. Okay, right now we're talking about Oklahoma. Okay, Oklahoma County Jail to remain under federal oversight for now. This is published by Nolan Cray, um, Clay, forgive me, in the Oklahoma. And Google, Google that, people. But let me tell you something that I know is that the Oklahoma County Jail was not letting the feds in to do that oversight. Now that warden has just lawfully given up the oversight of that jail and, and, and giving it to the 
trust, okay? Mm-hmm. Find out what that means. We will talk about that um, uh, further, and I'll be sharing that further, but I think it's called CYA. We know what that means, don't we? CYA, right. cover your what? All right. Uh, there has been many, many matters that have made it into the public site. Imagine what has not made it. Imagine what has not. What is it? The um, Most recently, over the summer, I believe it was um, Baby Shark, right? That Baby Shark song that was mm-hmm. blasted very loud while there were inmates that were tied up and beaten that had to listen to this. Okay, they were tied up in different rooms that were, yeah, so this, this is the absolute most egregious assault on civil and human circumstances that you can imagine, mm-hmm. and that's bad enough in itself. Imagine if somebody is innocent of what they're in there for, okay, all right, it, it's okay mm-hmm. if they aren't, all right, that is not their sentence, people, that is not their sentence. But do you have anything that beings. you want to share in particular that has to do with um, with uh, what you have to say on Saturday, Tina? Because then we're going to get um, back to Jorge's case. Actually, my goodness, we're running out of time. Okay. We're running out of time. We cannot <laughs> share any more. We are going to follow up on this Sunday, okay? We're out of time right now. We're going to follow up on this Sunday. Or no, no, no. We have We have another half hour. Okay, we started at um, seven, eight, seven thirty Central Time. Forgive me, I'm wrong. So we do have another half hour. <laughs> so we started Tuesdays or half an hour late. Tina, uh, do you have anything that you want to say right now to our listeners while you have a captured audience? All right, that uh, that you're going to be sharing uh, at the rally on Saturday, or do you want me to come back to you in a few minutes? I'm ready. Okay, let's um, go. I'm sick of hearing about people dying in Oklahoma County Jail, not just there, but all the jails in Oklahoma. Um, it's not a fluke. It's not just an oversight. It's a siege against our loved ones. Oklahoma County Jail is where we need to be. <laughs> To stand up for these human beings. Now, um, if we, if you have pets and you treat them like these people are being treated, you would be put in prison. Why is nobody holding those in charge accountable? That needs to happen. There needs to be transparency oversight and none of this oh found unresponsive you can find somebody unresponsive once in a while but when they're sitting there screaming for help and nobody comes to help them there was a man beaten to death tell me that man wasn't screaming for help the the jail got a call from somebody saying there's a man being beaten and he wasn't found till 40 minutes later during a supposedly routine check? Come on now. They think Oklahomans are dumb. Yeah, 
Remember, remember when we had James Larrick on, who was a corrections officer, and how mm-hmm. he shared video and audio where they were joking around about finding somebody unresponsive, or at least, at least find them before they're totally, you know, like yeah. their bodies are hard. Where it shows obviously nobody made their rounds in time. Cover your you know what right it's james right. larrick a whistle uh, you know he wanted to be a whistleblower but unfortunately he didn't realize the whistleblowing had to take place while he was still a corrections officer he himself got arrested got beaten and thrown in jail he's out of jail right now but he's come on the uh, he's come on uh this podcast a number of different times huge people this is huge huge abuse we're not numbers. You're not a number. Whoever is listening right now, you're not a number. You are a human being, just like those that are behind the bars that made mistakes and they were caught for it. It is very much an exception to the rule where there are heinous, absolute heinous crimes these, these where they are need not, to be behind bars. These are not wrongful deaths. It's state and county sanctioned murder because they let it happen. Yes. They let it happen. Yes. And it's got to stop, and we've got to make it stop. Yes. So please come Saturday to show your support. To show. Just say that one more time where and when, please. It is Saturday at the Oklahoma County Detention Center. 201 North Chartel from 1 to 3. Okay. And where City. can we follow this uh, this rally? Where can we follow this so that we can share it with the listeners now? It is on Ignite Justice. It is on... That's Emily Barnes. Yes, that's Emily Barnes. It is on Journeys to Justice, uh, <laughs> Criminal Oklahoma. Injustice Division mm-hmm. uh, and on Journeys to Justice Facebook page. Yes. Okay. Remember, everybody, if for some reason Facebook is shut down and, and, and you're, you cannot find us, look for these pages on telegram.org. Telegram.org, I encourage everybody to sign up for telegram.org as there is tons of censoring, uh, censoring. Um, Marty Oakley will be there if you cannot find her, okay? Uh, so, you know, uh, look up uh, Tanya Hathaway. That's my name. I will share anything that has been taken down on the Facebook pages. I will share there where you can find Journeys to Justice, Inc., Journeys to Justice, the Criminal Division, Marty Oakley's page, all these pages that need to be circulated because we know you care. We know you turn to, you tune in regularly. We know that you um, want to know where to find us should something happen. Uh, just give a few days. If you know, just give a few days. That information will be there. My name again is Tanya Hathaway. T A N Y A. Hathaway, H-A-T-H-A-W-A-Y, telegram.org. Sign yourselves right up. There is censoring that is going on, and you need to know that you have at least, at the very least, a back 
up plan. Tina Gertz as well will be signing up for that. G-O-E-R-T-Z, Tina, T-I-N-A, Gertz, G-O-E-R-T-Z. And she also will be sharing that information should you not be able to find it on Facebook. We want you to know what the heck is going on. We want you to know. Oh, this is intense. This is a really intense night, isn't it? It's um, Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Emily. I hope you're listening in. We want to thank you right now. If you want, call in. Say a couple brief, uh, you know, say, say something. If you want to call in, say something. Put your hand up so that Marty Oakley uh, can see. If you want to say something about the rally on Saturday on behalf of uh, Oklahoma County, uh, jail, please do. And then uh, we're, we're going to move on right now until then to Melissa Hurry. Melissa. Uh, yes. Boy. Hi. <laughs> Thank you uh, for, for, for your patience. And that's no problem. What Jorge had to share. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking right now that you want our listeners to know? Well, I think that um, everybody should tune in for the next show when you're going to have all four because the thing is there's connections between all of these cases, Jorge's case, Michael Gaines' case, Stanley Watson's case, Mark West's case. It, it's intimidation of witnesses. It's um, perjured testimony. Um, even even in, um, even in uh, Jorge's case, we, we talked about, you know the the situation, the incident that had occurred. There's there's absolutely no evidence that links him to this murder, but yet nothing. he is nothing, nothing. Whatsoever. I mean, life with parole. He's not eligible for parole until, until 2038. Michael Gaines is in is in prison with life without parole for a very similar situation. Uh, masterminded mm-hmm. robbery. The 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 co-defendants that actually masterminded it, they're out. He's Michael Gaines is still in jail. So, right, it's, and yet there's it's, not there's just a, one a genuinely there's guilty mastermind behind it. They're gone because they gave the prosecutor, right? They gave the prosecutor everything they needed to appear like the hero. Yeah, absolutely. And even in, in Jorge's case, you know, it might be a little bit confusing mentioning the, the previous charge. Clearly, they didn't have enough to charge him with murder. They didn't have enough to charge him with the robbery, but once they they got testimony from somebody who, and let's be clear, uh, when we brought up Randy McDew, the one that the gun actually belonged to that was used to commit the murder, the whole the whole robbery was masterminded in his house, and he never went to jail. So let me ask you, where was the DNA? Where were the prints? Where, there is no, there's he, no DNA. It's 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 testimony. Um, of these other witnesses, and it's and it's the same in so many cases in Oklahoma. And you know, we're talking about Lawton here, Comanche County, but Oklahoma, the whole state. I mean, we know what happens in Oklahoma County. We know what's happened in the past in Oklahoma County. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you you can look at numbers, there there have been, um, I believe, in Oklahoma since '93, there's been 35 individuals who have been exonerated. A lot of that was misconduct 
um, you know, you can go back to Oklahoma County and Bob Macy and Joyce Gilchrist and things like that happen oh. and things like, and, and they and are both, we don't they're know. Both dead. Listeners, they're both dead. They are notorious yeah. for actually being a part of somehow promoting and testifying in a manner that put innocent people to death. Am I right? You are exactly right. Bob Macy put 54 people on death row. 27 of those, half of them were overturned. 18 of them were, there was misconduct found. And let's be clear, when we talk about exonerations, just because there were 35 exonerations in Oklahoma doesn't mean that there were only 35 people wrongfully convicted. Those were the people that were able to prove their innocence. We don't know how many people are in, are in prison who are innocent or excessively sentenced that mm-hmm. haven't been able to prove their actual innocence. Right. Right, because they the, refuse to retry these matters. Let's talk about well, there's no what accountability. the Attorney Where's General the has said, Mike Hunter. Mm, well, Mike Hunter is under the impression that, you know, pe- people have received their day in court. I, I, I stay on that statement because it's very misrepresentative. I mean, you could have gone to a trial, absolutely. But if you had a, an attorney that didn't represent you properly, um then it really wasn't a fair day in court, was it? Or if there's jurors and there's juror misconduct or, or racism among the juries, and it's, and it's happened in several cases in Oklahoma, that's not a day in court. That's not justice. If he's referring to a day in court, meaning they, you know, that justice was served, it was not served in many cases. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. So why do you think it is that the attorney general will deny the uh, I'm just asking your opinion as a uh, as a person, okay? Because I know I understand that you are you you know you're on the ethics committee in Connecticut. Yeah. I understand that mm-hmm. you are a huge proponent for you know conviction integrity units. I understand Absolutely. that you are an expert in wrongful convictions. What is your personal opinion? Why the attorney general in Oklahoma? refuses to provide additional resources to those that are um, charged and sentenced with these kinds of heinous crimes when there is actually nothing that leads them to the finding of beyond a shadow of a doubt well i mean we can we we talk about these cases and we know there's many of them and i just it's very hard pressed for attorney generals and da's to want to admit that mistakes were made and i'm not saying i'm I'm not saying that represents every district attorney or every attorney general but Mm -hmm. the fact no i know you're not there's there's no accountability there's no accountability Mm -hmm. in oklahoma there's no one to hold anybody accountable there's no conviction Mm -hmm. integrity units I, I, mm-hmm. Like I said, I don't know if or when they plan to to have one. I mean, even Texas, we know the amount of people that Texas has executed. But even oh Texas, Harris County, Dallas County, they have um, conviction integrity units that are exonerating people. Oklahoma right. does not. And, I mean, we mm-hmm. can – I use that as a comparison. Well, we've got because, this guy McCall. His name is McCall, who has mm-hmm. been called out publicly – to resign, who is a judge that has uh, been a part of 
the uh, actual sentencing for some that are genuinely wrongfully convicted. Listen, every a lot of people want to say that they're innocent, you know, but there's also a lot of people that admit they're not innocent. They're not innocent. And it's when you they start to fight, yeah. they want to get on with their lives. Why is McCall in part of the pardon and parole board who he has publicly said he will not let any he will not vote yay for any violent offenders to be released with a commutation or in the pardon parole board I don't know that's that I mean you're making a decision before you hear a case and I, I have no rhyme or reason for that I have no rhyme or reason for that because you know, Therefore, he has no right or for reason. Reform. He is he is absolutely biased because he was the judge on that case. Who continues to collect a pension where the rules are that you don't collect a pension when you're working for as a judge when you're working for the state of Oklahoma on a part of the parole board? And he continues to. Am I wrong? No, and I, I, I was just going to say, like, there, you know, there's all states can can afford to have criminal justice reform. I'm not saying there's, you know, any states that are perfect. I'm here in Connecticut. Uh-huh. I don't believe something I like that would happen I in this state. I know. Connecticut. And yeah. I don't believe that something like that would happen in this state. I work for the Office of State Ethics. I, I, I don't believe that what is occurring is, is, is ethical, and I don't believe it would happen in my state, but it's happening in, in Oklahoma, and this is what makes me look at Oklahoma because there's such a pattern of misconduct. Yes, and, there is. and it's just, and um, I mean, we know that misconduct occurs in a lot of wrongful conviction. That's one of, that's one of the main components, but, and so is perjured yes. testimony. So and and, I, and I tell you what, Melissa, I have my, you know, I have consistently um railed on Senator Langford for not paying attention to this yet I yet I'm aware of one particular matter where he has actually taken interest uh on a a, a case that I'm not going to give any kind of details because I'm sworn to the privacy on it uh you know where he's actually taken an interest in a particular matter uh, because typically, you know, look, he is a senator. He is in D.C., okay? He's in D.C. I visited his office. Uh, I met with the person right underneath him who actually put Judge Miller in Tulsa County. He demoted him into uh, a, a different venue in the court, which he's back now where he shouldn't be. He should actually be behind bars. But but my point is that the jury's out for me right now on Senator Langford uh, uh, regarding does he really care? Does he really care because he is responding to certain people that are sharing viable information with him recently, very recently, beyond this Judge Miller guy in Tulsa, okay, Judge. Uh, so... Is he paying attention now to what is going on with his state, where he is a senator? Well, is he? What are your thoughts on that? Um, so my thoughts in general on our elected officials are it, it's important to have advocacy in, in these cases because the more voices that they hear, the more they're going to have to pay attention to it. And 
And I think that people underestimate the importance of local elections. This is where we these people are brought into office in local elections. Um, well, here in Connecticut, we don't elect DAs. We have chief state's attorneys who are hired, appointed. But in most other states, all except for three, these DAs are elected. And if you don't like the way that they're operating things, you have to get out there I mean, and, and be heard. When, they have, when legislative hearings are held on policy that matters to you, you have the right to go speak at those hearings. And the more voices yeah. that they hear, the less they're going to be able to ignore. And so these patterns that have gone on for years and years and years need to change somehow. And I believe that is the way that they, they are going to change. But it takes people. It takes a lot of people. In, in, in Tulsa, County, Tulsa County, we've got Kurzweiler. He is a DA who apparently, you know, continues to just win, win, win. Sure, it looks good, prima facie, right? Prima facie on the face, people. Prima facie on the face. He looks good. He really looks like he cares about you. I can promise you this one thing. Anybody who is in Tulsa County and listening, he is a corrupt dirt bag. You want to know why? You message me. You go right ahead and you message me. You email me at injusticeinoklahoma at gmail.com. Injusticeinoklahoma at gmail.com. You want to know why Tulsa County has a dirt bag prosecutor? I will tell you why. It's not one case. It's many cases, okay? Now we're talking about Comanche County. How on earth did Comanche County as well become corrupt? We've got this guy by the name of Smith, and we've got this judge by the name of McCall. And then we also have a defense attorney, supposedly, by the name of Oh, let me think of her name. Oh, my goodness. She's right in Lawton, and she pretends to be on your side, and she's really not. And she will tell you that she will get you out of prison, but you really must say that you have indeed committed these crimes, even though you didn't, if you didn't. And she will leave you there high and dry because she is colluding. What's her name? Help me out. Help me out. Lawton. Lawton. uh, What is her name? She has been a defense attorney on several cases. And she leaves you high and dry. I believe the name. There's an Indian name. Tina, help me. Anybody who can help me out, please share this. What's her name? I said I wish I could help you. <laughs> oh, I will come up with it. I will come up with it. But it's in Lawton. And she is also a familiar name in the Lawton 4. Not for everybody, but she is. So I'm looking on my page right now on Injustice in Oklahoma Exposed, we're looking at injustice in Oklahoma. We're looking at, let me see, somebody just sent me a message. Maybe that answer is there. 
Okay. Nope. Not there. I'll think of it. I will think of it. What do you have to say, Melissa? I mean, how do we hold these people accountable? How do we get Jorge Bravo a trial that he deserves? Well, um, in Oklahoma right now, there's there's really no way to do that except following the court process, but we know that doesn't work for everybody, especially after you've already been convicted. It's, it's near impossible, uh, and that's just the way it is. But until they have something that holds um, these DAs accountable for the misconduct and the perjured testimony, I don't know how that happens, and I don't know um, that they're ready to implement a conviction integrity unit, but like I said, people's voices, um, people want, if people want to see change and people do want to see criminal justice reform, and all it involves is looking at these cases, you have to start looking at these cases because it's not just one case, it's not just two cases, and it's not just in one county, it's all over the state. And, mm-hmm. you know, Oklahoma's not the only state. There's other states. There's other states that are so much worse than, than you know, some other states in, in the country. But yeah, they're not the, all that bad. I mean, we do have good prosecutors who actually believe in in, in, in in reform. You know, we actually do have, and my brother actually happens to be one of them in Sullivan County, New Hampshire. I used to own my own insurance and financial advisor company uh, in New Hampshire, and when I, uh, you know, got a lead because I never did a cold call in my life. But somebody said, hey, you need to go talk to this couple, right? I would go to their houses, and I would tell them who I am, who my family is, okay? And I would say, my brother is Mark Hathaway. And somebody, you know, and on several occasions, somebody would say, oh, my gosh, I know him. I'd get up, and I'd say, should I leave now? And they'd be like, no. Mm -hmm. He saved my life, okay? So there are good people in justice reform out there. You will not find that as a rule in Oklahoma. You won't find that as a rule in Oklahoma. You won't find that as a rule in Montana as Tina Gertz and I are producing some uh, podcasts that will not be live. Their audio audio, uh, shares uh, for uh, Tina, what's the name of the book? And and the people that have written the book, we've got Michael Johnson, we've got Rhonda Champagne, who wrote a book that is called Corrections. Correcting. Help me out correcting, here. Correcting Treatment in Corrections. Okay, Corrections Treatment in Corrections. Guess what? You that's the unlock the key to helping those that truly have been convicted. You know, under uh, you know, under the letter of the law, okay. For those that have been convicted under the letter of the law, where you know what, what do we do? Do we continue to mean them? Do we beat them while they're in prison? Do we rape them while they're in prison? Do we uh, mentally abuse them while in prison? No, we don't. The answer is rehabilitation for those that have passed that test that are willing and able 
to attend the classes, to rehabilitate that, you, you know, the top 10 offenses, top 10 offenses have nothing to do with pedophilia. They have nothing to do with uh, any kind of murder, anything like that. Well, guess what? I'm, okay, so just, you know, that's kind of like a heads up, what's to come. But guess what? Hey, Bravo had nothing to do with murder, had nothing to do with pedophilia, certainly. But he has been charged with a murder that there is nothing beyond a shadow of a doubt, not even nothing within a millisecond, a millimoment of a doubt where this man is guilty. There is simply somebody who satisfied the need of the prosecutor to resolve this matter and look like the good guy that knows how to get the job done. It's doesn't. all about the wins. That's what it is. And, and you know, I, I, as far as prison and rehabilitation, um, they, their recidivism rates are not lowered by crime control. Recidivism rates are not lowered by inhumane conditions in prison. Recidivism rates are lowered by rehabilitation, best practices, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, education, mentoring programs, things like that. That's how you rehabilitate people. That's how you lower your recidivism rates. But there's not, I, I don't know that there's a lot of that going on in Oklahoma prisons. So oh, God, no. it's, it's forever going to be. They'll take the federal government money and the grants. They'll do that and they'll check off their, their, their little list of what they're supposed to do to meet the protocols of those grants. But are they really being put into place, Melissa? Tina, are they really being put into place? Now, Rhonda, Rhonda and, and Mike, in, in this book that we just mentioned, now they know for a fact that, that the 10 top crimes in Montana, okay, and this is very common in, in, throughout our country, in Montana, as well as I believe in Oklahoma, has to do with childhood trauma, young adult trauma, has to do with turning to drugs after trauma, has nothing to do with pedophilia, has nothing to do with first-degree murder, okay? has nothing to do with that. And they have successfully created a program to rehabilitate You'll hear much more about that. But Oklahoma, do they want anything to do with it? We will find out, won't we? We will find out. Are they engaged? Are they interested in a Mm -hmm. conviction integrity unit? Melissa, are they? I mean, they don't have one, so that speaks volumes. Do they need one? I mean, with the number of, of cases that have been exonerated even without a conviction integrity unit. And like I said, we don't know how many individuals are wrongfully convicted because not everybody is exonerated. That's the only way to measure it, at the, to truly measure it right now. But there's more individuals that are wrongfully convicted, of course, that haven't been exonerated. Thank you. Maybe exonerated is not just two minutes left. I really need to uh, sign off on this tonight. Tina Gertz, I want to thank you for speaking up and out about the rally and other things that are going on this weekend in Oklahoma. Please follow what, Tina? Real quick, 10 seconds. Journeys to Justice 
injustice, uh, criminal injustice division. Okay. Melissa, 10 seconds. And we're going to have you back on, Melissa, this Sunday. Yes, I just, I I want to say, too, that all these cases that we were talking about the law and for, keep in mind that all these individuals were, were, were very young. So, we also need to talk about second look legislation because in, because these individuals shouldn't be sentenced to life life sentences in like in Michael Gaines' case life without parole without ever revisiting that sentence. And right. Thank and, you. and I mean, if one in seven sentences are life without parole sentences. If we truly want to some reduce of the, some of the, the people that are rallying for, and some of the people that are rallying for this as well as Justice. Jones, who is not in Comanche County, please mention Justice Jones briefly, very briefly. Julius, so, uh, you, ten seconds. You're talking about Julius Jones. Julius Jones, thank you. Yes. Oh, he, he, well, he's in Oklahoma County, but he's on death row. Yeah. And he was very clearly wrong, wrongfully convicted, but he awaits the commutation hearing. We, we spoke about yes. a case on Sunday, so he's still yes, awaiting the did. commutation hearing, and that's Over where his case now. is right now. Oh, yeah. Over um, over a year now, and um, like, okay, like and share, like and share, okay, please go to Tanya Talks, T A N Y A Talks, views, interviews, views and interviews. Uh, uh, oh my goodness views, gracious, I can't views remember. And interviews, views and interviews. Thank you. Share that page. Look at that page. Check out what is being shared. We are here to share the truth. And Melissa Hurry and Tina Gert are going to continue, and I am going to continue this. And we will be back on on Sunday evening at 7 o'clock Central Time, people. And we are going to have the Latin Four, and there are plus more, to share Mm. these tried and true wrongful convictions over sentences. God bless you all tonight. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Please be safe, everybody. Sign up for a Telegram.org account. God forbid we get censored. Telegram.org. Melissa Hurry, thank you. Stephen Burke, 89.9, KLRB, FM, Lighthouse Christian Radio. Thank you, Marty Oakley, PS Radio Network. 